Good morning, UAC family. It's wonderful that you could be with us again on this Sunday morning and thank God again for technology that allows us to do this. Even in the midst of this pandemic, we hope and pray that you're keeping well. We're working through a series on the life of Abraham titled Walking by Faith and studying some of the things in the life of Abraham that are reflective of his faith. And one thing that we have to understand as well that it's not all good. There are some messy parts. There are some very difficult parts as well. And today, as we read, as we've read through Genesis chapter 16, and as we study the life of Abraham, we're going to get to some messy parts, some very difficult parts. But I hope that makes Abraham a little bit more relatable to us and to our struggles and to our difficulties. Uh, Abraham is known as the father of faith. He's known as someone who uh, 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 was a man that exemplified faith. We see here in Romans chapter 4 and in verse 11. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith. Also, it says for Abraham in verse 16, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. So Abraham is known as the father of faith. We read so many beautiful and wonderful things about Abraham and how he loved God and believed in the Lord. Even later on in this chapter, uh, from verses 18 to 22, it says, even when there was no reason for hope, this is talking about Abraham desiring and wanting a child and God saying, yes, I'm going to give you a son and he will inherit all things from you. Here it says Abraham kept hoping because he didn't have a son. He was believing that he would become the father of many nations. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. But here we see again, his faith grew stronger and stronger. Now, there are times of failure, times of testing, times of difficulty for Abraham. But the key thing here is that his faith grew stronger. And it gives us hope that we might not be at the place of faith of Abraham, but our faith can grow. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. When you read these verses, we can see why Abraham is considered the father of faith. He's an example to all of us to follow in those faithful steps. And we continue to see God working in his life until this time, time of climax when Abraham actually offers his son Isaac on the altar. Now, that's a completely different story, and we'll save that for another time. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 11, we read also uh, about what's known as the heroes of faith, people that exemplified amazing and wonderful faith. And one person that's uh, written, uh, written about in that chapter is Sarah, Abraham's wife. We see here it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She what? believed that God would keep his promise. So we see these wonderful testimonies of God's goodness and God's provision and God's faithfulness along the journey for Abraham and Sarah. But we also have to realize that these people are human, right? They, along with us, are fraught with discouragement, failure, unbelief, and sadly as well, sin. But it's what makes God's love and grace all the more powerful, all the more wonderful, that even in our failure, God gives us hope. Even in Abraham and Sarah's failure, there was hope. We read in the book of Romans and in the book of Hebrews, the wonders of their faith and how they grew through testing and trials and came to a place of faith that pleased the Lord. But they failed miserably as well. 
It brings wonderful hope to us that even in our failure, we can continue to grow. You know, as we, uh, today's text is from Genesis chapter 16, which was already read uh, for you today, leading up into Genesis, Genesis chapter 17. And if someone wanted to make the story of God and the story of Abraham wonderful and amazing and beautiful, they would actually leave out all of chapter 16. Because the events that happen in chapter 16 actually bring a lot of confusion and contention to the story of Abraham but it also makes them much more relatable to us. Actually, when you think about it, if you were to remove the events of chapter 16 from the Bible, it would change all of history. It would change the current political and uh, religious and social environment in the Middle East today. So going back to chapter 16, let's look a little bit at what actually happened. Coming off of last week's message, we were studying chapter 15, and we saw that God gave these amazing promises to Abraham, how he would be blessed and given the land of, land of Canaan uh, as the promised land. But Abraham didn't have any children, and that was a concern. And God said, no, don't worry, I'm going to give you a son. So Abraham waited and waited and waited some more. Does it sound familiar? Are we maybe in this time of pandemic, we're waiting and waiting for things to open up? Right? Maybe in your life you're waiting and waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Well, Abraham waited, but finally Sarah, she got tired of waiting. And so she realized that, you know, she was getting old as well. Her time was running out. So Sarah had this interesting idea. She said, well, why don't I give you one of my servants, Hagar, to you, Abraham, and you can have a child through her. And after this happened, things went from bad to worse. The impact of that one decision had drastic consequences, not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for generations to come even till today. So this morning, I'd like to look at these three people in the story, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, and learn a lesson from each of their lives. First, in the life of Abraham, we can see that Abraham failed by compromising God's promises with societal standards. See, Abraham was fresh off a new encounter with God in, in chapter 15. Uh, Abraham was given so many promises and so many wonderful, uh, wonderful things to look forward to through this covenant that God was making with Abraham. But right after the events of chapter 15, when we come to chapter 16, Abraham fails and he fails miserably. Abraham built altars to the Lord. Abraham saw God's help, God's provision, God's deliverance, God's blessing. But one area that was really difficult for Abraham was this area of having a child because Abraham had to wait and wait and he was getting old and Sarah was getting old. And then Sarah had this idea about giving her servant, her her maidservant, the one who was assisting and helping her to Abraham to have a child through her. Now, when we hear this, we might think, oh, that's really weird. That's really strange. It's not something that's very common in in our culture today, but actually was quite common and quite normal for the culture and environment that Abraham was living in. Sadly, instead of seeking the face of God, instead of uh, praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what should I do in this situation? Abraham compromised God's promises with societal standards and societal convention. See, at the time, uh, there was something in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia called the Code of Hammurabi. And you can see it here that they found this. And it was basically uh, laws and principles and codes that people lived by. It was probably just the common law that was cultural for that time. And people lived by that. 
And finally, it was enshrined in this, the Code of Hammurabi, which was uh, discovered uh, many years later on. And basically, this code gave permission for a man to take another wife, uh, especially uh, if his first wife could not have any children. And so this was something that was common and it was, it was understood. And so Abraham and Sarah decided to do this. Sadly, they couldn't wait for God's promises to be fulfilled, but took the matters into their own hands, into their own hands by what society dictated, but what society deemed, right? It was, it was normal. It was accepted at that time for something like this to happen. But instead of trusting in God's promises, they fell to the pressures of society and what society actually looked for and wanted. See, because at that time for a woman like Sarah to be barren, to not have any children, it was actually a shame. It was something that was really bad. And, and Sarah probably felt that pressure. She probably felt uh, the pressure of society, of the world saying, oh, you don't have any children? How come everyone else is and you don't? Why are you bearing it? It was like a curse in many ways. People looked down upon women that didn't have children. It was a much different culture and a much different society. And they were facing those pressures and sadly they bowed to those pressures. And they tried to fulfill God's word and God's promises in their way instead of waiting on the Lord. Does it sound like you or me sometimes when we compromise, when we change our standards to the standards of the world? Maybe we try to accomplish God's will and God's purpose, not in his way, but in our own way. Well, first John uh, chapter two tells us about loving the world and loving the things of the world. He says, you do not love the world, this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. Pretty strong words here by John, but look what he continues to say. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. See, this was an achievement to have some children. The more children, the greater the blessing. But a barren woman wasn't really an achievement, nothing to be really proud of. But here John says, these are not from the father, but from the world. See, it's so easy to compromise with the world. It's so easy to go to the standards of the world. And maybe sometimes because God's ways sometimes seem very drastic, sometimes seem very different than the ways of the world. And it's hard to stay on that narrow path. It's difficult to stay faithful to God's word and his promises. And it was difficult for, for Sarah. But one thing we need to understand is that we serve a God that is countercultural. He doesn't go by what the culture dictates. He doesn't go by the cultural standards and norms. He has principles for his kingdom. He has principles for his people, which he wants us to live by. Let me give you a few examples of this countercultural God that we serve, even from the Old Testament time. In the New Testament, we know very countercultural through the Sermon on the Mount and things that Jesus preached and taught. But even in the Old Testament, even during, during uh, those times, there were things that, that happened that were very countercultural. For example, there was one thing regarding the inheritance for daughters. When Moses brought the children of Israel into the promised land, and there was one family that just had daughters. They didn't have sons. And the daughters came to Moses and said, we would like to inherit. And we don't want this land to leave our father's uh, possession just because we're women and we don't have any, and there's no, we don't have any brothers. Our father didn't have any sons. And so Moses took that to the Lord and the Lord said, yes, the daughter should inherit as well. Very countercultural. It didn't happen in that time. It didn't happen uh, in that way. Another thing we see is God instituting certain laws for, for slaves and rights for slaves. At that time, slaves didn't have any rights. 
But God gave certain laws and commandments to treat the slaves well, that they had certain rights and privileges, and you couldn't just treat them like a commodity. Another thing we also see is that when the children of Israel would harvest their land, that they should leave some of the crops for the poor and the needy. God was very mindful of the poor and the needy. It was very countercultural for that time. People didn't care about the poor and the needy and those that didn't have. They had to fend for themselves. But God wanted laws and instituted commandments that would care for people like this. It was very countercultural because we serve a countercultural God even till today. He calls us not to live according to the ways of the world, not to compromise ourselves to the standards of the world, but to live according to his kingdom principles and according to his standard. Abraham could have continued trusting in the Lord, but society gave him an easy way out. Society gave him an easy way to say, hey, just take your wife's handmaid and have a child through her. Everyone else is doing it. It's normal. No one's going to think anything strange about you, Abraham, for doing that. Oh, but if you don't have children, you'll be looked down upon. There's a lot of pressure. How many times has that happened to us as well? Instead of waiting for God's promises, instead of waiting for God's word to be fulfilled in our lives, we make compromises. We fail in our faith towards the Lord. Although God's word says that his promises are yes and amen in Jesus, although his word says that what he started, he will complete, Uh, Although his word says that he'll bring to pass every promise in our life and and that his promises never fail and that he'll be with us till the end. Many times we doubt. Many times we wonder, Lord, are you still working? Are you still there? Many times we we fail in our faith. We we try to hold on, but we can't. And then we try to figure things out in our own way. How can we prosper? How can we be blessed? How can we fulfill God's word in our way instead of his way? I'd like to tell you a a story about a man named Roland Bingham. He was one of the the founders of SIM. SIM uh, right now stands for Serving in Mission, S-I-M. At that time, it stood for the Sudan Interior Mission. Now, they had discovered in the south of the Sahara, there was a, a huge region that people didn't want to go to. There were about 60 million people in this region of Africa, but there were no missionaries that were there. And there was no mission board that would send people there. So Roland Bingham, along with two friends, Walter Goins and Thomas Kent, they decided to go in 1893. When they got there, Bingham got malaria in the coastal area and his two friends got to the interior. But sadly, in a couple of weeks, they died. It was such a discouraging time for Bingham. Look at what he said uh, at that time. He said, my faith was being shaken to the very foundation. See, he, he saw the promises of God. He, he felt the call of God. He knew what he had to do. But then he went and he got sick and his friends died. It's a time to question God. It's a time to wonder what's happening. And that's what happened to Roland Bingham. This great man of faith who later on accomplished so much for the Lord. He was wondering. And says here, why should those most anxious to carry out the Lord's commands and to give his gospel to millions in darkness be cut off right at the beginning of their career? It's a very difficult thing. He continued to say, he said, many questions face me. Look at how he struggled here. Look at how his faith struggled. So it's a man of God that wanted to serve the Lord, but now his faith was in jeopardy. He said, was the Bible merely an evolution of human thought, even biased thought? Or was it a divine revelation? 
And he said, for months, the struggle over this great issue went on before, before I was finally brought back to the solid rock. Dear friends, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're failing in your faith, Jesus is there to help us. And know that your struggle is not unique to yourself. There are many people that struggle as well. And if we come to the Lord, he can help us in our faith. As we come to God's word and hear God's word, that will help us in our faith. And for Roland Bingham, he went through some hard trials and difficulties in trying to do God's will. And that caused him to question his faith. And we see in the life of Abraham, he, he faltered in his faith. He failed in his faith. He failed in trusting God. This man who now is known as the father of faith was a great and miserable failure at faith. Does it give hope to you? It gives hope to me that when I see in the ways that I fail in faith, there's still hope and God can help me to grow and grow and God can help you to grow and grow. I, I wanna ask you if you can just engage with the sermon a little bit this morning by maybe opening up a new tab if you're watching on the computer or use your phone if you're watching uh, on a screen and you have your phone with you and go to this website, uachome.org engage. And I'd like you just to answer this question. What area of faith are you currently struggling with? What area of faith are you finding difficult today? And if you can just answer that, and tonight at 7 o'clock, uh, I'm going to get back on Facebook Live and take up some of these responses and talk a little bit about it um, and see what things you uh, typed out there. So if you can go to that website and answer that question, that would be awesome. All right, thanks for your answers there. And again, we'll take that up tonight at 7 p.m. back on Facebook Live. But continuing on, now I want to look at Sarah. See, Sarah failed Abraham, Hagar, and the Lord in her des desperation. We've all been in that place of desperation where we don't know what to do. Maybe we've regretted some decisions that we've made. I think Sarah probably regretted what she suggested to Abraham after she did that. In Sarah's defense, the promises, the word of God was not given to her. It was actually given directly to Abraham. He was given the charge to lead his family and to walk in the ways of the Lord. Her motive was good and actually involved a lot of self-sacrifice. Can you imagine giving up that loving, faithful marriage uh, just so that you can do something for your husband that he really wants? However, Sarah's faith and trust in God really failed the test of time. She couldn't wait. And so that's why she came up with this new idea. She, she failed Abraham in one sense by not helping him stay on that straight and narrow path of God's promises and God's covenant and God's and commitment really to the Lord. It, it was similar in many ways to the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, the command and the, and the word was given to Adam and Eve, instead of supporting and helping Adam to obey God's commandment and word, gave him another option and tempted him with a, with, a, with a fruit and she failed. And in many ways, we can see this repeating itself here again in, with Abraham uh, and Sarah. The situation was, was a complete mess. 
because afterwards, Hagar starts to despise Sarah. Then Sarah complains to Abraham, saying it's all his fault. And then Sarah treats Hagar badly. And then Hagar runs away. And this is family turmoil at its finest. Not only did Sarah fail Abraham, but Sarah actually failed Hagar. See, Hagar would have been a young Egyptian girl uh, in need of protection and support as she ministered to the needs of Sarah. But instead of protecting her, what did Sarah do? Sarah actually put her in a very compromising situation. Sarah put her really in a no-win situation. Instead of respecting her individuality and instead of respecting her rights, she used Hagar for her own gain. She was treated really as a commodity. Ultimately, and we'll see this later on, Abraham has to cast out Hagar and her son Ishmael into the desert for them to fend for themselves. And also, finally, Hagar really failed the Lord. Instead of staying, staying true and trusting what the Lord spoke to Abraham and believing the promises of God, she came up with her own devices, with her own plan. Sadly, in some ways, we can say Sarah learned from Abraham's bad example. Back in chapter 12, when God first calls Abraham and gives him this amazing promise and this amazing covenant and God speaks to him and says, I'm going to bless you and make you a father of many nations. Later on in that chapter, they go down to Egypt. And it's possible that maybe at this time is when they got Hagar. We don't know for sure. But they went down into Egypt and Abraham asked Sarah to lie and say that she was actually his sister and not his wife. Finally, there's turmoil that results and, and uh, with Pharaoh and Abraham finally gets out of there. See, instead of trusting God for his protection, instead of being people of faith to believe God, that God would fulfill his word and take care of them, Abraham trusted in his own ideas and told Sarah to lie. Instead of depending on God, Abraham went to his own devices. And in many ways, Sarah does the same thing in this situation. See, Abraham really failed in leading his family. Abraham failed in teaching Sarah and the rest of his family to walk in the ways of God, to trust God, to lean upon the Lord, even in difficult times. Galatians chapter six and verse seven and eight says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Both Abraham and Sarah were sowing, working, living in the flesh and, and not in the spirit, not in faith. The result was a lot of family turmoil and problems that sadly lasted for many generations, even till today. Actually, so much of the problems in the Middle East for generations can be traced back to Abraham. Uh, the Muslims actually trace back their lineage through Ishmael, Hagar's son, and Jews and Christians trace their lineage through, um, through uh, Sarah's son, Isaac. And because of this, there was so much turmoil and division and problems, all because Abraham and Sarah made this one wrong decision. And instead of leaning on faith, failed in their faith, and went to their own devices. It's a good lesson for us all to trust the Lord and not trust our own way. The one thing that's really terrible in this whole story is that there's not one noble character in this whole situation. 
Everyone is self-seeking. No one is standing up for what is right. No one is trusting the Lord. And the worst of the bunch is Abraham because he's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the father of faith. But it all began when leaders who should have been faithful, trusting, actually became dishonest and did not believe God's word. Which brings me to my last point. And I'd like to ask you as well to think about this. What should we do when leaders and people that we look up to like Abraham actually fail? See, if you look in the life of Hagar, Hagar received a revelation that the living God saw her in her time of need. And she had to go through a very difficult situation with Abraham because Abraham was the leader. So let me ask you just for a moment to put yourself in Hagar's shoes, okay? You're taken from your homeland in Egypt and you become a servant to Sarah. You would have probably grown up knowing all of the gods of Egypt and learning about the gods of Egypt. Everything you actually knew about this living and true God, you learned only from Abraham and Sarah and watching their lives and seeing their lives. You saw Abraham building altars, worshiping this living God, serving this living God. You saw this living God prospering Abraham, giving him the victory over his enemies and promising him great future. You probably admired Abraham and Sarah a lot. Then one day, Sarah comes to you and asks you this very difficult question and asks you, can you sleep with my husband in order so that you can have a child for us? And you, have, you comply with that very obediently and you complete the wishes of your, of your masters. You've done everything that Abraham and Sarah has asked of you and more. The people actually that should have been examples of faith, of love, of godliness, mistreat you to the point of you actually running away. Can you imagine that? If, if you just put yourself in, in, in Hagar's shoes, can you imagine what, what you would have gone through? See, you, you hear about their God and the wonderful promises and the wonderful things that their God is doing, but then you see them acting carnally, acting in the flesh, acting in a worldly way, just like your friends and family would have in Egypt who served many gods. What do you do? In such situations, when people that are supposed to be godly, supposed to be faithful, actually fail. That's what Hagar's situation was. In this chapter, the beautiful thing that we see is that it wasn't Abraham or Sarah that received a wonderful revelation of God and his love and kindness. It was actually Hagar, the Egyptian servant girl. See, she runs away from Abraham and Sarah, but then God meets her with the assurance that he has heard her cries for help. Then she realizes something about the living God that changes her life. And it's a revelation really that Abraham needed in this situation. Genesis 16 verse 13 says, She, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She ran away. She was in distress. She was in trial and difficulty. She needed help because of everything that had happened to her. And God meets her and God speaks to her and God gives her promises directly. And then she gives a name to the Lord who spoke to her and says, you are the God who sees me. See, she had a revelation. God, you are looking down on me. God, you are seeing me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 
Isn't this beautiful that Hagar had such a beautiful revelation of God? Before this, this was the God of Abraham and the God of Sarah. Before this, this was the God of her masters. And everything she knew about this living God, she would have learned from them, but sadly didn't see it lived out in their lives. But then she had a personal encounter with God and realized, God, regardless of the hardships and difficulty that I'm going through, God, you are seeing me. And now I see you as the one that sees me. That's the kind of revelation, friends, that we need. That we need to understand and know that God is seeing us. And we can look to him. She realized God was watching over him, uh, over her. And she realized that she could have an encounter with the living God. See, friends, when leaders fail, when pastors fail, when spiritual people fail... When people that we look up to, role models, and people that we think have a close relationship with God, when they fail, remember, don't look to them, but look to the Lord who sees you. We're all humans. We're fraught with frailties and failures, just like Abraham. We will fail, but we have hope in Jesus who never fails. And Hagar had this amazing revelation that God was seeing her in her distress and trial. It was an amazing revelation. And really, it was the revelation that Abraham needed. In his trial, in his difficulty, instead of waiting, he took things into his own hands. But really, he should have had this revelation to understand, God, you are still seeing me. And God, I can look to you and to your promises and to your word because you are seeing me, because you are watching over me, because you are caring for me. God, I can trust in you. God, you see me in my good times and in my bad times. God, you see me in my pain and in my suffering, in my anguish and in my turmoil, you see me. In my failure and in my sin, in my anger and in my lust and in my pride, oh God, you see me. In my rebellion and in my discouragement, in my hopelessness, in my distress, in my trials and in my despair. Oh God, you see me and you still love me and you still speak to me and you still fill me with your promises and you fill me with hope and joy and grace and peace and love because you are watching over me. This is the beautiful thing of having a personal relationship with God. We can see others And maybe they fail. Maybe they don't live up to the standard that we want them to live up to. But we can always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and he will never fail us. And we can find hope in him. I love this song that's uh, called Surrounded. And part of the lyrics say, It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like the enemies are coming against me, but actually it is God that is surrounding me. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read the story of when the Arameans came to surround Elisha. And they sent a whole army after Elisha. But Elisha was calm and secure, trusting in the Lord because he knew that God was with him and God was surrounding him. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 16, the servant of Elisha was really scared and wondering, Elisha, what's going to happen? Look at this whole army that's come against you. It's one person against a whole army. But Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. Still, the servant couldn't believe and the servant couldn't understand. So Elisha prayed this prayer, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Dear friends, when we think we're surrounded by the enemy, realize that Jesus surrounds us first. And Jesus cares for us and protects us. Remember that the Lord is watching over you. The beautiful thing about this story with Abraham and Sarah is that even though they didn't remember that God was watching over them, even though they failed the promises of God and failed miserably, still it didn't change what God was going to do. Because in the very next chapter, we read it today, the first few verses of chapter 17, God renews the covenant with Abraham. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I know you failed, Abraham. I know that all this happened, but I am still going to bless you. See how merciful, gracious, kind, loving, faithful, forgiving, and committed God is to his purposes and his people and his word. That even in our failure, he still renews, forgives, and keeps his promises. Can I ask you to answer one more question for me? UACHome.org slash engage. And can you answer this question? How has God revealed himself to you? Think about the ways in which you have come to see God. Remember, Hagar said, I have now seen the God who sees me. God revealed himself to Hagar in such a beautiful way. How has God revealed himself to you? If you can go to that website and answer that. And again, uh, this evening at 7 p.m., we'll take up some of those uh, answers and uh, see some of your responses. So thanks for engaging with that. And just give you a few seconds to do that. And I'll just conclude uh, this morning's message with the story. Thanks, friends, for responding to that. And again, join me at 7 p.m. tonight and we'll take up some of those responses. I just want to end uh, the message today with the story of a man named Alan Gardner. Uh, and you can see here his uh, picture. He, he was a missionary from England who actually desired to serve the Lord and take the gospel uh, to those that didn't know about Jesus. And he was a sailor in the Royal Navy and uh, committed his life to Christ when he was in his 20s. And he traveled around the world and, and saw the need for the gospel, desire to take it to various places like South America, Africa, and other lands. He tried to join the London Mission, Missionary Society, but he was refused. He tried to join the Church of England in ministry, and they refused him as well. But he launched a number of missions trips, and many of them led to failure. He didn't see much fruit come out of uh, those trips. But his faith didn't fail. I'm telling you this story because of the amazing faith that this man of God had. Even in the midst of so much failure in his life, he continued to persevere and continued to share the gospel and continued to serve the Lord, even if things weren't working out the way that he wanted it to. He held on really to the promises of God. His final trip was to a place called Patagonia, where he hoped to bring the gospel to the natives that were there. Sadly, when they arrived, they, they lost a lot of their possessions and they were, they were robbed. 
and things were not looking very good. Actually, they were really bleak when they started to run low on supplies and people got sick. And one after another, people actually started to die of starvation and sickness. And in that place of death and hopelessness and despair, Alan Gardner penned some of the most inspiring and hope-filled letters and journal entries that anyone could write. If you read it, you would probably think that he was on top of the world and everything was going so well for him and he was having success at every corner. He was actually the last to die from that group of people that went to share the gospel. And when others arrived on the island, they found his journal entries with so much death around him and people dying one after another with only a few days left in his life. I want to read you some of some quotes from his uh, journals and his letters. He wrote this to his wife. He said, I'm this is again, few days left in his life, right? He writes this letter to his wife. I'm passing through the furnace, but blessed be my heavenly shepherd. He is with me and I shall not want. He has kept me in perfect peace and my soul rests and waits only upon him. Remember, this man is starving. This man doesn't have food to eat. He's near the point of death. He's seen so many of his friends die already. He's at this place where, he's, where he could probably thinking, Lord, why did you bring me here? I've wasted this uh, life and this opportunity. Why? Don't you save me from, from this death and starvation and I can continue to serve you. Another journal, uh, another part uh, of that letter, he says, all I pray for is that I may patiently await his good pleasure, whether it be for life or for death, and that whether I live or die, it may be for his glory. Missionary seed has been sown here and the gospel message ought to follow. Can you see and believe and understand this, this great faith that this man possessed? He said, missionary seed has been sown here and the gospel will follow. Still in the midst of failure and in the midst of discouragement, he was believing. He had faith that God was going to bring something good from this very terrible circumstance. Another journal entry, he says here, I am by his abounding grace kept in perfect peace, refreshed with a sense of my Savior's love. Can you imagine a person starving and facing death saying this? And an assurance that all is wisely and mercifully appointed and pray that I may receive the full blessing which it is doubtless designed to bestow. My care is all cast upon God and I am only awaiting his time and his good pleasure. It's when I read things like this, I'm astounded at this man's faith, at the way he persevered. Another journal entry. This was his, the last words in his journal on September 5th, 1851. And he says here, great and marvelous are the loving kindnesses of my gracious God unto me. He has preserved me hitherto. See, he saw God's goodness in the midst of such pain and suffering and hunger and trials and death. His sense of goodness and glory was not dependent on his prosperity and on his provision and upon things going well for him. But his sense of God's goodness and God's blessing was really dependent on his relationship with Jesus and who Christ was, not about where he was. He saw the God that was seeing him. 
In the same way that Hagar said, I see now the God who sees me. Alan Gardner saw the God who was watching over him and he was still willing to commit his life into the hands of his faithful creator. We don't see any bitterness. We don't see any uh, condemnation. We don't see any doubt. We don't see any discouragement in him, but just a wonderful sense of peace and trust in the living and true God. As we sing this song now, yes, I will. Let's surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to wait. Lord, I'm willing to trust. Lord, even when things are not going the way that I want it to go, Lord, I don't want to compromise and I don't want to fail, Lord. I want to trust you. We learn these amazing lessons from Abraham and Sarah and we see the failure of their faith, but we also see later on how they grow in their faith. And Abraham becomes the father of faith. And so, dear friends, it gives us hope that even if we failed, even if we're failing right now, even if we're going through hard times and discouragement right now, there's hope for us in Christ as we trust him, as we come back to him, as we renew our relationship and our life with him. He's faithful to keep us. Let's sing to the Lord together.